Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. International governments continue to reach for their carbon and related energy climate taxation initiatives as a means to reach their Paris-Glasgow climate green energy objectives. Our guest has told us before that more than a trillion dollars will be spent with barely measurable success. He's also told us, and he says today, let's tell our kids climate change is a problem, but not the end of the world. Dr. Bjorn Lomborg joins us. He's the author of False Alarm, How Climate Change Panic Costs Us Trillions, Hurts the Poor, and Fails to Fix the Planet. Dr. Lomborg is the president of the Copenhagen Consensus Think Tank. In 2011 and 12, he was named top uh, 100 global thinkers by foreignpolicy.com, also named by the UK Guardian as one of the 50 people who could save the planet. His monthly column is delivered in many different languages and published worldwide. Dr. Lomborg, good to have you back with us. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Roy, it's great to be back. Let's get at this um, this very first uh, tweet of yours that was issued a couple of hours ago. And and I'm raising this because I was to uh, the movies last night, and one of the spots that rang prior to the film was a dinosaur addressing what appeared to be the United Nations. And the dinosaur at the podium was warning the world about not taking action where action is necessary and warning the world about extinction. And I'm thinking, if kids are seeing this, I know what they're saying to their parents. So you're saying, tell our kids that climate change is a problem, but not the end of the world. Please expand on that. Yeah, Roy, I mean, we all know that climate change is being portrayed in this catastrophic manner. Uh, as, as you just said, that, that is a hilariously bad uh, 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 little film with the dinosaur in the UN. Uh, and it's also a little inappropriate because in many ways the UN is a dinosaur. Uh, but, but the reality, of course, here is, yes, it's a, it's a problem, but also, and at the same time, we're getting richer and hence we're getting to be more resilient, more able to tackle more problems. And, and one of the things that I think young people ought to know across the world is when you actually look at the impacts of climate-related disasters, so floods, droughts, storms, wildfires, and extreme temperatures. We have good data for how many people die. A hundred years ago, on average, half a million people died every year. Despite all of the stuff you heard last year in 2021, including the heat dome in Canada and, and, and the U.S., the floods in Germany, and the many others that you didn't hear about, the total number of people that died last year was less than 7,000. We've seen a reduction over the last 100 years of about 99%. We are much, much safer. Global warming is not going to kill you. Global warming is a problem. And we need to tell our kids that because if we don't, not only are they scared witless, but of course, it also means adults are scared. And that means they make really, really bad decisions. When you look at what's going on in Europe, and uh, our listeners know, yesterday we spoke with uh, Professor Terry Bro, who was in charge of uh, energy supply for the nation of France in a previous job. And he spoke to us about the concern he has about blackouts for Europe this winter. And he talked specifically about governments, European governments, not sharing the truth with the people of Europe, 
because they were afraid. He said, first of all, the policies are incoherent. And then he said they didn't share the truth with the people because of two things. One, they were afraid of social unrest. If they share the truth about the cost of changing from fossil fuels to renewables, they were concerned about social unrest, and they were more concerned about losing an election. What's the scene? What's the picture in Europe now? Do you agree with Professor Bro? I think I think it sounds very sensible. Look, every politician in Europe, and and quite frankly across the world, most politicians say they want to do something dramatic about global warming. But of course, they don't actually want their electorate to feel the economic pain because if they were to do so, they'd get booted out. And so the reality is, for a very long time, we've simply been making nice talks, but not actually delivering. What we're seeing today, of course, a large part of the uh, the cost rises that we've seen across a wide range of of, of issues in uh, in the world on on energy is because of the Ukraine war, but part of it is certainly also because of global warming policies. And you could argue this is exactly what climate campaigners have been arguing for for a very long time, and nobody wants it. People are not willing to pay five or ten percent of their income to tackle global warming. They're possibly willing to spend a couple hundred dollars on this, but that's nowhere near what most governments are actually promising. What we're seeing now is you cannot actually get that through. Most people are gonna protest. Most people are gonna say, no, I don't wanna do it. And that's of course why governments across Europe is now, are now you know, uh, reopening their coal-fired power plants. They're, they're asking uh, governments in, in Africa to start uh, providing gas and, and coal for them. Remember, the governments in Europe have been very stringent on saying, oh, the African governments and the world's poor should stop using fossil fuels and just you know, leapfrog us. But of course, Europe has no intention of leapfrogging anything. We get about 80% of our uh, of our energy from fossil fuels, and we want to keep doing that. So that's why uh, the government's now pounding down the door in Botswana and many other places and saying, could you please produce a lot more coal so we won't freeze and we won't see blackouts ne- next winter? I think it shows you why you're never going to be able to succeed with the current policies without getting much more innovation. All right, 2015 in Paris, COP whatever the number was. Uh, I spoke with you prior to the COP conference and after the conference. And following the conference, I remember you saying they're going to spend a trillion dollars, international governments, and accomplish essentially nothing. But if they took that money and they invested it properly, they could do a tremendous amount of good, A, dealing with the poor, poverty in the world, if not eradicating, coming close to eradicating it. But it would also have a positive impact on the issue of climate. And you're not arguing that climate is changing or that humans have had something to do with it. But can you tell us, remind us, please, what your message is? Because I don't think it's changed since 2015 as far as that is concerned. A trillion dollars being spent gets us what? Uh, On climate, very, very little. And actually, we have new updated figures that indicate uh, this is just the people who, uh, so basically the U.S. and Europe, uh, who were promising uh, to do a very large amount of stuff in in Paris. Uh, If we're now talking about the net zero, it more looks like we're talking five, uh, maybe seven trillion dollars per year. That's just, that's an outrageous amount of money. Of course, it's never going to happen. Just to give you a sense of proportion, 
we know that all the main problems of the world could be fixed at about a hundred to two hundred billion dollars. So this is partly, as you talked uh, talked about, uh, poverty. It's a hunger. It's uh, 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 malaria, tuberculosis, uh, uh, deaths from uh, in in uh, in uh, giving birth for women, uh, both for the, themselves and their kids. There are many other things. These are all incredibly cheap. And yes, we should also fix climate change. But we should fix it smartly. Look, you're never going to solve climate change by asking everyone to pay an almost infinite amount for fossil fuels. They're not going to accept that. What you have to do is instead of focusing on making fossil fuels so expensive nobody can afford them, you should make green energy so cheap everyone will want them. That's what we do with innovation. We should be spending about $100 billion dollars on innovation every year. Remember, right now we're spending about 700 billion, or last year we spent $700 billion on green energy, mostly green energy that would never have been bought in the marketplace that's too expensive, subsidized in one way or another, inefficient, often uh, often also very unreliable. We should spend a much lower amount, about $100 billion, invest that in green innovation across the board. So fourth generation nuclear and fusion, and of course, solar and wind and better batteries, many other things. But the crucial bit is we should innovate the price of green energy down below fossil fuels. Then everybody, not just in the rich world, but also in Africa and China and India would switch. And that is how you solve global warming. So the fundamental point is instead of spending many trillion dollars and achieving almost nothing, and of course, making sure that it'll never pass in, in, in the long run, because people are just simply going to make uh, 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 rise up and make a riot or throw out the politicians who are proposing these policies. We should be spending hundreds of billions of dollars, but smartly to fix all the other problems of the world and also climate change through innovation. Yeah. I don't know why you're a lightning rod. What do you say to me? Makes absolute common sense, but you're a lightning rod for opinion. What you say, really, you get a tremendous amount of support, but you also have a lot of opposition. And I found it very interesting, and we have a minute before we take the break. Looking at another uh, tweet from you today, uh, Foreign Policy, which in 2011, 2012, named you among the top 100 global thinkers. They suggested in an article, if I have this correctly, that one way to deal with the Russian invasion of Ukraine would be to buy Chinese solar panels and take care of the world's needs that way. Am I understanding them correctly, or am I way off base? Well, it was actually a better piece than that. They were, they were basically saying, you should not do that, because that's really just assuming that you can somehow move from Russia to China, that you're going to move from dependence on Russia, which is obviously a morally terrible thing to do now, to China, which basically use slave labor to uh, to produce their uh, uh, solar panels. And of course, this will never actually be enough to power the world. We want power 24-7. Solar panels, not surprisingly, only give you power when there's a clear day. Uh, certainly not at night, often not when it's uh, overcast. And people, you know, sort of blithely say, oh, but batteries. Look, there's not enough batteries in the world uh, to carry us over. Right now, the world has enough batteries to s sustain electricity for one minute and 15 seconds of average uh, electricity consumption. Yeah, so, so no, this is not the solution. It's not going to be the solution for the next many decades. We need to be realistic and sensible. 
the dinosaur didn't tell me about that battery <laughs> no. time limit. The dinosaur not didn't as say much that. Fun, right? <laughs> the dinosaur didn't mention that. Before I ask you about uh, net zero and what's going to happen with net zero, because the consensus view from people I've spoken with, Dr. Lomborg, is that it's going to make prices explode. And we have Mr. Trudeau saying he wants a 42% reduction in emissions by 2030, oil and gas emissions by uh, 2030. I, I don't know how we're going to accomplish that without creating a massive price increase in Canada. But, uh, but, but let me ask you um, um, about your, just the first part of the title of your book, How Climate Change Panic. Is it panic? Is that what we're dealing with that's now an international, not a pursuit, not about COP conferences, but it's actual panic? I, th I think it's a fair description. Uh, look, uh, a recent YouGov uh, study uh, showed in, I believe, 16 different countries, about half the world's population now believe that global warming is likely to lead to the extinction of the human race. And, and just take a pause to think about that. If you actually read the UN climate panel reports, there is no such thing indicated at all. Uh, these are 4,000 pages reports. They look at a lot of different things. Look, again, global warming will be a problem, but it will not be the end of the world. And pretending that it is, is just simply false advertising. But of course, it also tells you something very important it is likely that you can only get people to accept these very, very high costs if you tell them it's the end of the world. Uh, uh, AOC uh, from the U.S. famously said, you know, the world is ending in 12 years, which was what she'd heard from the media back then. And, and, and you're asking about how much it costs. Of course, it makes sense to say if the world is ending, then we should throw everything in the kitchen sink at this. But that is not what global warming is. It's a problem. Uh, if we do nothing, it'll probably cost us you know, the order of 3 to 4% of GDP by the end of the century, which definitely is a big issue. But of course, remember, by then, uh, the UN estimate will be about 350% richer. Uh, so, so we're talking about a very, very small change, something that we'll almost not be able to, uh, to discover uh, by the end of the century. Yes, a real problem. No, it's not the end of the world. You and your kids are going to be much better off uh, by, by the end of the century. We need to know this because then we can stop panic and we can start being smart. Okay, I'm going to set aside my net zero question because I think you just dealt with it. So why are you then, because I hear you and I've heard you and you and I have spoken on the air for years. I hear your explanations. I know what you're doing in Copenhagen at the Consensus Center. I know who's there with you. Um, you have Nobel laureates there as part of your group. Why are you such a lightning rod? Why, why is what sounds to me like total common sense so difficult for some to absorb? What's going on? Well, I think there's a couple of things going on here. First of all, you know, if if you're outrageous, most people don't actually have to worry about it. They can just dismiss you. Uh, but just as you said, you know what we do here is actually sensible. It makes sense. When people listen to it, they say, yeah, I, I get that. And, and so obviously, in some sense, because we're actually sensible, we're much more scary for the people who really want this to be the end of the world and who want this to be sort of the thing they really care about. I also think that there is another thing that goes on here at the same time. Most people want and need and feel a strong urge 
to have something that they're doing that's incredibly good that helps save the world. You know, for some people it's plastic straws and for some people it's salvation. Uh, for many people, it's global warming. They don't like to be told that, look, it is a problem, but you're not actually saving the world. You're making it slightly better, but possibly by making it much worse because you're taxing uh, and, and making energy, which lifts people out of poverty everywhere, much harder to get at. That, that doesn't feel good. That actually you know, threatens a lot of people's self-understanding. So I understand why people get angry. Uh, at, at the same time, I, I, I think it's a good indicator that possibly I'm saying something right. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.